Welcome to Texas Style Coworking. The ranch office is a neighborhood community office that delivers a warm atmosphere with a heavy dose of Southern hospitality. Located in Memorial, Katy, and Baytown, we offer private offices, conference rooms, event space, and much more. Come change things up and check us out. Remember, life is better at the ranch. Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. ESG Energized audience, we're going to do something today that I've been wanting to do for a while, and that is talk about the topic of sustainability, but specifically inside of the chemical industry. And so on the show today, we have Patrick Hill, who is the Vice President and General Manager of Process Systems at Mott Corporation. So I've called upon Pat to come and talk to us. Pat, welcome to ESG Energized. Hey, Delphina. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to talk about this. I'm just so glad you're here because I've been wanting to do this for a while. But before we jump into it and me starting to hammer away on all the questions that I've got for you is I want to make a couple of announcements. First of all, I want to give a shout out to Insperity. Insperity is a PEO, professional employee organization. So if you are looking for support, uh, for your human resources function. Insperity was my PEO of choice uh, for my business, and they are absolutely the best. So I just wanted to give a shout out to them uh, because we also use their room at the Canon to record every once in a while. So shout out to Insperity. And a reminder that on March 6th is the Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation Sympo- student Symposium at 10.30 a.m. March 6th at the Hess Tower, and once again hosted by our good friends at EDP Renewables. It's a fantastic time. We'll be there recording, and this show will probably air right around that time. So anyway, uh, let's jump into this, Pat. Pat, help me get started here. I want to talk about sustainability in the chemical industry. So could we start with, just so that people understand why I reached out to you, your job as the VP and GM of Process Systems at Mott Corporation. Let's first start with Mott Corporation. Give us a quick rundown. Who is Mott? What do you do? Just so that they know why I reached out to you. Sure. So so to really understand Mott, it would probably take much more than the 30 minutes that we have today, but I'll, I'll make it simple. So Mott, uh, we're, <laughs> we're based in Farmington, Connecticut. We have uh, offices all around the globe. Um, what's unique about Mott, two things. First, we are a 100% employee-owned company founded 65 years ago. We've been in ESOP for the last 20 or so years. Uh, thing number two, wow. what, what do we do and why is it special? We really specialize in cutting-edge, precision-engineered filtration and flow control devices. We're talking about situations where the filter can't fail or the flow control device simply can't fail because the consequences are so large. And so, Give us an example. Sure. Those end up being markets like semiconductor, aerospace, the energy and chemical industry like we'll talk about. Um, You know, in the semiconductor industry, for example – 
we need to capture particles down to 1.5 nanometer in size. And we need to do okay. so to what is called nine log purity, which is 99.99. There's seven nines after the yep. decimal place. Really hard challenge. And uh, we love the challenge. It's what makes it exciting for the engineers here and um, keeps us going every day. Okay. Okay. So that's Mott Corporation. Now, um, you yourself. Now, as VP and GM of process systems. Sounds like you know a lot about filtration. I, I talk a lot about filtration. I don't know about knowing a lot about <laughs> filtration, but I certainly talk about it. Yeah, so, so what's my responsibility? I lead the process systems business, you know, top to bottom. What is that? What does that business do? We really focus on large scale industrial filter systems. We're talking about oil and gas, energy, chemical, pharmaceutical, you know, things where we're filtering hundreds of gallons per minute or more, um, and our filters end up being a critical um, part of that process uh, process line, where if our filter doesn't work, our customers don't make their product, um, nobody's particularly happy about that. And so, again, it's, it highlights to the challenge um, that we solve. Just a little bit about me. Uh, although I have a business title, I am absolutely still an engineer at heart, and I, I love the, the problem-solving aspect of what I do. I love getting my hands dirty and helping my customers solve their flow control challenges. Uh, I've been in process industries my entire career. I've been with Mott for seven years. Prior to that, I spent about a decade in the commercial nuclear power uh, industry where, I, again, I worked on kind of large-scale process equipment. Uh, and yes, I'm super happy with what I do. It's it's a lot of fun, and it keeps me energized. Fantastic. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into this topic of sustainability. Please. Clearly, 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 you guys are are working in a space that the chasing chasing better solutions for how we're doing things and and directly answering some of the challenges that we face. You guys are, are right smack in the middle of that. So I want to ask you, from your perspective, what are the trends that we're seeing in sustainability as it pertains to the chemical industry? Yeah, so I think I, I probably want to talk about three trends. So the first is just the nature of the product being made and how the product's being made and, and kind of how that affects overall process design. Uh, the second trend I'd like to talk about is how is the process monitored and controlled and how can you be more predictive with what's going on? And then the third trend I'd like to talk about at the end is, in, in my perspective, where do I see the market going? What's new that's coming in that could you know, really drive a new sustainable component in the chemical industry? So okay. I wrote those down to make sure that we... We did yeah. every one of those. So I'll start, okay. I'll start with the first one, just the nature of the product being made. You know, if, if you look at a, a chemical company's, you know, objectives, they want to maximize profit throughput. They want to reduce downtime. They're looking for ways to have a faster reaction or de-bottleneck their operations. And so that translates in, you know, in the area where I'm mostly involved, that translates into highly uh, engineered catalysts the recovery of those catalysts and the recovery of those catalysts to a really high percentage. In the chemical industry, it's not uh, uncommon to use precious metals like platinum, palladium, rhodium, things like that. And um, when you're using those catalysts, uh, if you lose them in your process, it can be quite expensive. You're losing an opportunity to reuse or recycle. 
And so that's one trend where I see starting to play into the sustainability area, a transition from what might have been legacy or traditional methods for capturing those catalysts to more advanced methods. And, you know, nowadays with an advanced filter that operates, you know, 24-7 fully automated, it's not unreasonable to expect 99.9% of those catalysts or more to be captured. That drives, you know, a bottom line improvement for most chemical companies, you know, a little bit north of seven figures, depending on the catalyst. Uh, And again, more importantly, they're not having to go out and remanufacture or re-procure that material. And so it helps their overall sustainability portfolio. Okay, so you're highlighting the economic side of this discussion. That's right. And I think that what we battle, I know that what we battle in the energy industry is the criticisms that we get. And when people hear those catalysts being rattled off, They're like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, that sounds incredibly dangerous and could be catastrophic in some way, shape, or form if I want to be the type of person that wants to point fingers and and talk about the dirty industries and how they're just destroying our planet, and that just scares me. So there's a sustainability component of this that is environmental, but what you're, it sounds to me that what you're saying is, there's an economic reason for making sure that we do this the most efficiently and effective, effectively as possible because it just it makes economic sense, not just environmental sense. Well, it's both, right? If, if you're able to capture right. those particles and reuse them, they, they obviously don't exit. And so your environmental challenge is, is mitigated quite substantially. And then, of course, the, the benefit of that is an economic one, right? Where you're not having to re-procure material or change out material, things of that nature. So it's certainly both. I think it, this is always a delicate topic to talk about. But at the end of the day, the brutal fact in here is the chemical plant needs to make money. They're a business. They exist to make money. Um, but, but, of course, we have to find a way to do that you know, in the, in the least impactful, um, methods possible. And, and in this case, capturing those catalysts down to a 10th of a micron or less in size is, is one way where you can do that. And pretty cool too. It's pretty cool too. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So let's, so your second trend was process monitoring and control. That's right. So talk about that. So again, in in the interest of overall efficiency, maximizing uptime, not uh, not having to do unnecessary maintenance, and potentially you know the the safety ramifications of performing that maintenance. You know, one trend that I'm seeing nowadays uh, is a much tighter focus on being able to monitor the process and monitor the details of the process. Most most chemical plants have you know fully staffed control rooms, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that are looking at the high levels of how their given production line is going. Some are starting to really get into the details. And so I'll, I'll make this specific about filters because that's what I do. But but this same message applies to other critical components like reactors or pumps or things like that. Yeah, I've seen some customers start to adopt a strategy where they're really understanding the details of that filter and how it performs over time so that they can predict when is the next maintenance cycle going to be? Or when is the next change out going to be? 
And, you know, what we've seen with this in, in working this way is it, it really minimizes plant disruption. It really minimizes kind of the human factor or the human touch time, um, which, again, drives an overall benefit from, you know, a, an economic perspective, certainly, but also a safety and, and utilization of the people perspective. Okay. Okay. Um, so what in the, in the monitoring arena where you're painting the picture of large control rooms and those of us that have worked in the oil industry have been in and out of large control rooms, (laughs) whether it's, you know, upstream to downstream, it doesn't matter. Um, is there a component of this, a trend that embedded in your response of, of a trend that there's a remote monitoring yeah, aspect. So remote, remote is the key word, right? So this is the beauty of technology that we live in nowadays and how, how far it is, has advanced. So nowadays I can monitor my filters you know, that are around the globe and operating all day, every day from my cell phone. I can pull up the charts. I can see the pressures versus time. I can see when valves are opening and when valves are closing. Uh, and if I can see it, you know, my engineering team can see it. My customer's engineering team can see it. And so we're not reliant upon the single person in the control room looking that happens to be looking at the one um, piece of equipment screen when they have many, many important things to do. So you're able to really, you know, kind of amass a force of people and specialized people in some cases to look at what's going on, interpret what's going on. And again, all of that drives a benefit back to the end user on efficiency, uptime, ability to do predictive maintenance. So not to get technical um, or or bring us down the path of of trying to get customers to call you guys to to sell stuff to them, but <laughs> I'm sure. just curious, to, to what extent does the remote monitoring, data, data gathering, analysis, the dashboard that you have available to you on your phone, how is that made available to your customers? Yeah, so I mean, great. is it shared with them or do you, yeah. Absolutely, it's shared. Yeah, shared. Absolutely shared. Uh, Sorry for interrupting there. Absolutely shared. No, no. Common platform. We developed that platform together, so we both know what we're looking at and how to interpret it. So, very collaborative process. Um, It it also encompasses things like alarms and interlocks, where we can get automated emails or text messages to both uh, the customer group of engineers and the vendors group of engineers to describe what's going on. Uh, but very collaborative. And then on the back end, you know, what we use is just some, for first layer, some simple data analytics to understand what's going on with the filters. And then, you know, there's sort of tiered layers beyond that, where we start to introduce scientists and engineers to get a bit more deeper into the details. But the key summary there is absolutely shared, because that's the most, the most important part is that collaboration between you know, the technology vendor and the end user. The end user has a plant to run. The technology vendor wants to advise and make sure that their equipment stays running the best way possible. I'm then uh, surmising that when you're pulling these dashboards together, that is also a collaborative process when you're setting up the systems 
to sit down with them and say, hey, what it is, what is it that you guys need for us to be, to to build into this tool to be able to de- to to gather and, and share? Am I right? You're you're spot on. Yes. So upfront okay. collaboration and then continued collaboration. We typically look at you know, outside of transient scenarios where we have a, an upset that, that we need to work through together, we typically look at our data monthly and provide almost like a, like a health report uh, that we review at the end of the month that describes, you know, what was the system's uptime, what were its filtration frequencies, things of that nature, uh, but all done in the spirit of one combined team uh, keeping the operation running. Okay. All right, so not to to get us off on another tangent, let's get back to trend number three, which I wrote down is, you know, what's on the horizon? Yeah, what's on the horizon? In in the chemical space, I think the thing I'm most excited about is the circular economy of plastics. And so there's a process called pyrolysis, um, whereby you take a recycled plastic, you do some mechanical manipulation to it, you then do some thermal and chemical manipulations to that recycled plastic, And you can turn it back into its fundamental building blocks to make new chemical or petrochemical products. And so it's something that over the last couple of years has gained quite a bit of steam and uh, something we view as a future uh, for the industry, certainly from a sustainability perspective, um, first and foremost, because it gives a a very clear mechanism for recycling and repurposing um, what would have been previously discarded waste. Where we get involved in that process, there's a couple steps where you need to remove fine particulate either before or after reaction. And again, where we specialize is when particles are small and operating environments are extreme. And so this is one of those examples where we're dealing with high temperature um, and very small particles down to a tenth of a micron in size in many cases. And it's a perfect scenario to deploy a, a porous metal filter technology, especially with the encompassing automation. Okay, so for those of us that are not as nerdy and <laughs> hanging on every word that just <laughs> and hanging on every word that just came out of your mouth, let's 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 talk examples. So, sure. um, just to my audience is not the topic of paralysis is not new to my audience because I had Vibhu Sharma on here who has is in the process of building a tire recycling plant in Mexico where they are using pyrolysis to do exactly that, which is take used tires. There's like 80 million in the world. It's some ridiculous amount and break them down to their original uh, components, right? Your, your Mm -hmm. carbon black, your, your fuel that comes out of it, steel wire, and then recycling that. And it's, it's just it was a great show and it was really informative to those of us about the on the topic of waste and how you can go about using something like pyrolysis to deal with that. So if you could for my audience give us a real life example that takes all that fancy engineering talk and, and make it come alive. I think tire recycling, the one you just gave is is pretty good. Um I, I would say ones that I've also seen is, you know, nowadays in in our world, especially here, we have a lot of uh, plastic packaging of food products. And so everyone's opened that clear little clamshell um, thing where their lunch is inside, right? 
And so what do you do with that? And, and uh, similar to the tire example, you can follow that same process of mechanically grinding that material down. And then again, going through a thermal and chemical conversion cycle to turn it back into its underlying uh, liquid feedstock components. In this case, all, all liquid feedstocks, we don't have the steel wire um, and we're not exactly yeah. extracting carbon black. Uh, but that's a very similar example. You could do the same thing with your laundry detergent bottles, your water bottles, any sort of um, you know PET-based uh, plastics. So they all follow the sim- similar process. And uh, again, I think a couple of key points in that process from a chemical reaction perspective, you know, those are typically using either packed bed or fixed bed reactors um, that have... I don't well, know what that means. That's That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> A big, a big giant vessel filled with catalysts that costs a fortune, and uh, you want to make sure <laughs> okay. that, that you want to make sure that that catalyst stays really healthy because the healthier it is, the more work it can do, and the more value you can ultimately get out of it before it's wasted. And that's one area where filtration plays in that overall process, making sure that that reactor full of the really expensive catalyst uh, stays running for as long as possible. Okay, but what did you say? Fact, fat, fat, what did you say? A big fat vessel filled. No, 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 no. You said you used. Oh, the types of reactors. Yeah, a fixed bed bed or packed bed. bed. Fixed Fixed bed or packed packed bed. bed. Okay. Correct. All right. See, I'm, I'm learning. I can learn. I see it. I see it. <laughs> okay. But I think pyrolysis in general, that's to, to me, that's the one key trend where the chemical industry is going. You know, if you, if you look at um, analyst reports of the top publicly traded chemical companies, everyone's highlighting this as, as their sustainability way forward. And so um, it feels, okay. uh, it feels inevitable as with any new production processes, there's always the challenge of how do you how do you drive cost out of the first couple adopters of it, and so you know we'll all face that together as an industry. But you know this is a really compelling direction for us to go. Would it be fair to ask you the question of what the value chain looks like for the recycling? So, for example. I'm a consumer, and mm-hmm. I'm going to use your example of the laundry detergent uh, bottle. I go and I throw that in my trash. Take me from there to how we get that recycled and repurposed into another laundry bottle or something else. Sure, I'll keep it. I'll keep it to a high level. It's not necessarily yes, my please. area of of domain, but it works something similar to this. You put your laundry bottle in your blue recycling bin. Your blue recycling bin gets sent off to a recycling facility. The recycling facility will manipulate that bottle, typically grind it down into little, small, tiny pellets, um, and then they will either give or potentially sell those pellets to a conversion company. It could be an existing chemical company, or it could be a company that's dedicated to this this kind of plastic conversion process. Um, That conversion company will undergo the steps that I described, thermal and chemical processes to get back to the liquid feedstocks. And then that liquid feedstock would either be used on site if it's a larger integrated you know multinational chemical company it would be just used on site as a product uh, somewhere else um, turned into ultimately whatever their feedstock product is 
or it could be sold in either liquid or granulated form to um, the ultimate uh, user who's going to convert that back into maybe it's a new plastic uh, laundry detergent bottle or, you know, maybe it's a piece to a car or something else. Okay. What do you see, do you see a difference, any, any type of difference, significant difference in attention to the general topic of sustainability from the various industries that you serve? Uh, you guys serve a lot of different types of industries. Abs- absolutely. Uh, I think, have I seen a difference? Even just in my time at Mott, I've seen a difference. Uh, and I'll keep it to oil and gas and chemical because those are the markets that, that I'm most familiar with. But, you know, if I reflect upon you know, my early time at Mott, certainly folks highlighting sustainable projects, but felt a little more like a, like a project instead of reality in many cases. And, and what okay. I see today is a totally different behavior. Uh, almost all of my customers have very clear sustainability goals, are, are acting upon those goals, are taking action, are spending money to address it. Um, and so it's not, it's not necessarily the lab project that it was five or 10 years ago. It's real. And so, you know, in oil and gas, for example, carbon capture has been a, a tremendous topic. And it's not just a topic where, you know, people are spending money and building projects and finding ways oh. uh, to get closer to carbon neutral. Chemical industry, we talked about pyrolysis already. Both of those industries are large consumers of hydrogen. And, and I, I think, I imagine you've had folks talk about all the various colors of hydrogen on this show. Uh, but they yes. all, all have their various aspects of trying to, to play into the you know, sustainability perspective, reduce your footprint perspective. Obviously, green hydrogen being, uh, being the ultimate version of that, of course. Um, but I think the, the big thing I'm seeing is acting. People are acting. Um, Stuff's getting made, improvements are being made, and, and that's a great thing. Let's talk about hydrogen for just a second. Um, are, how's Mott playing in that space? Yeah, are you so, guys contributing to, to that? Absolutely. Uh, so we have an entire clean energy business that is mostly centered around green hydrogen production. Uh, we make critical components to the electrolysis process, which is the separation of a water molecule into yeah. hydrogen and oxygen. A really exciting business to be a part of. And with our integrated solutions in my business and and some of uh, my peers' businesses, we handle upstream water filtration in advance of that electrolysis. And downstream, we handle purification and drying of the hydrogen. Uh, And again, all in the interest of making as much hydrogen as possible, uh, you know, from a renewable energy source. Cool. I took a stab. I figured you guys might have a... Good guess. Play there. That's yeah, a good guess. <laughs> it's an exciting market to uh, logical. Exciting market to be a part yeah. of. Growing really quick, and again, it's it's no longer just a theory or 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 uh, you know early projects. I mean, it's real. There's there's stuff being built all over the world today um, to address this issue. Well, not just it, and it's especially in hydrogen, but in a lot of other of these these areas as well. We started off this conversation 
about how you addressed the economics mm-hmm. of um, tackling these challenges, but we're seeing the cost of these advanced solutions continuously coming down. Yeah. And so that it can become a reality. I mean, and that is reality, right? Again, at the end of the day, businesses need, exist to make money. Um, and so they have to find a way to drive cost out or drive improvements. And so um, anytime you do something new for the first time, it, it's a little harder, it takes a little longer, and therefore it costs a little more. Uh, but as the industry learns and as the various technology people learn, um, improvements get made and you know we're able to be more efficient and everyone reaps the rewards of that, which is excellent. Okay. Um, couple more questions and then I'll, I'll leave you be for the day until I, I come up with more questions <laughs> that I want to bother you. Sounds with. great. You can call anytime, <laughs> but what, what else do you have? Um, what do you, what do you think in your opinion, what do you think our biggest challenges are? Uh, and you can, you can pick, you can look at it by industry or just in general. What do you think for in the topic of, of sustainability in the in chemicals? Well, I just think our biggest challenges. Probably the largest challenge I see is people, uh, you know, and that's that's a tough one. Um, but people really, really comes in two different ways. First, you know, does the end user have the right people with the right skill set? Um, you know, maintaining knowledge over time is a very difficult thing. And, uh, you know, I know from from my own experience here at Mod, it's a challenge for us to face. You know, do are we able to keep up with that knowledge as folks uh, inevitably retire and, and want to do something different. And then I think the second aspect of the people challenge is um, do, do we have enough people working at a plant nowadays? Um, to me, it feels really lean uh, and, and that can create problems. Those problems can be mitigated by some of the stuff we talked about. Um, but I would say both skill sets and, and capacity on the people front is, uh, you know, it's an interesting uh, challenge. So is that a shout out to young people go to go into becoming chemical engineers? Certainly is. I mean, this, this is exciting stuff. You get to get your hands dirty, watch stuff get made. You know, in many cases, you're directly connected to providing real value to humanity. And um, how, how could you not have fun in that kind of environment? So certainly, I hope uh, I hope the younger generations continue to want to explore this field. Uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. I, you know, I couldn't think about doing anything different. I just love it. I think that's part of the excitement for us that are focused on the topic of sustainability within our respective industries. And it's the seeing the younger generation that are coming in that are getting their chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, petroleum engineering degree. And their part of their curriculum is at universities is to understand the sustainability aspects, but it's also within their, their own selves to be interested and know that they can go into this type of a discipline and yet have a very positive impact uh, on our world beyond just, you know, making stuff. Yeah. Right. Tre- tremendous amount of <laughs> a tremendous amount of opportunity. 
um, opportunity yeah, to improve time. processes, you know, opportunity to have a voice and influence. So for sure. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you. If there's anything that you want my audience and we are in, uh, we, we reach almost every country around the world. What would you like to say? What would you want my audience to be thinking about to take away from all of this? What's, what's the, the idea of the day? Wow. I mean, you saved, you saved the hardest question for last. I think on that one. Absolutely, the, dude. The, what do you think I'm going to do? Like, what's your favorite book? Well, Come on. You know. That's Batir's show. <laughs> the idea, you want the easy questions? Go on Batir's show. I think the idea of the day is, is um, and it doesn't really matter the industry or the region. It's just, uh, you know, never really be satisfied with the status quo. You know, whether you're a chemical plant, a filtration company, uh, a downstream refiner, um, you know, the status quo just isn't going to get it done. And so what's next? What's the next thing you can do, whether it's being more sustainable, whether it's an invention of a, a new conversion process, a new technology? Um, and just, you know, maybe just my parting message is look beyond the status quo and think about what's next. Pyrolysis in the chemical industry is a perfect example of, you know, really smart folks thinking about that years ago. And, you know, now it's starting to make a difference. I'm going to add one other thing that came through to me listening to you talk. Please. Was that it's not just about not accepting the status quo, looking beyond, but doing that in a collaborative manner. For sure. You guys are working... You're not, you guys aren't just sitting in a lab and then running to your customers and going, oh, look, use this. It's, it's more of a collaborative process where you're. No, in fact, problems. Yeah, I, I should just maybe just a small, quick plug on Mott as it relates to that. Absolutely. So, so you, you I think you've earned that. You mentioned the lab. You know, one thing that we do and we really love to do is we do what's called filter feasibility testing, where we will test our customers' materials side by side with them. Uh, and demonstrate how the filter works, why it works, collect the evidence that it works. Uh, but to your point, we don't do that alone and then just send a summary. It's always collaborative and it's always engaging um, from, again, both the technology vendor and the end user in this case. So I uh, fully, fully agree. And Okay, so I, I said that was going to be the last question, but I got one more. It's fine. Fire so away. Do you have in, in Farmington, Connecticut, do you guys have uh, a lab facilities where you host people to come your customers to come in and look at this we stuff? do uh we call it our customer innovation center seven thousand square foot dedicated facility to just this kind of activity we welcome folks feels like every week uh certainly would would welcome the chance to bring in some more folks and show them the cool stuff we do okay i think that we need to do a press tour and i will be expecting my invitation in the mail you got it <laughs> Patrick Hill from Mott Corporation. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about this important topic. Oh, you're very welcome. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.